Welcome to the Intersecting Us podcast, where math and life intersect. In today's podcast, Dave and Brian consider how math is like leaving this world and entering into a Narnia-type world. Well, welcome. In this podcast uh, today here on Intersecting Us, we are looking at still the way we got started, why intersecting us is important to us, uh, and why intersecting us hopefully will be important to you also. One of the things that uh, this uh, this entity is going to try to do is get people connected because we kind of live in an unconnected society, and that's become more and more acute as different things have happened, especially in the last couple of years that we're all aware of with COVID causing us to kind of have some trouble connecting. Uh, Dave, you we had talked about that before, but maybe you could just uh, start off a little bit about how maybe COVID and the way that made people not intersect as much maybe had something to do with uh, your idea of getting uh, something like intersecting us started. Yeah. Well, hello, everybody. It's good to be here. It's a privilege and an honor. And that's one of the things that has been on my mind and on my heart is I see people being disconnected from other people during this time that we've had with COVID. And now COVID is kind of like, I wouldn't say gone, but under control, perhaps is the best way of putting it. But the effects of COVID still remain in that there's a lot of disjointedness in our lives. And I don't think it's healthy. And I don't think it's uh, the way life is supposed to be lived is to be so disjoint. And so I see a lot of things coming together in the world of math that inspire me, that bring me closer to life and then to people. And so What I want to do is I kind of want to share some of these thoughts that have inspired me and perhaps, you know, they may inspire you because so often we see dots out there in our lives that are sometimes jarring. And I think of something like discipline. If you try to discipline yourself to do something, perhaps uh, you're going to want to live a healthier life. This is just an example. And so every day you're going to maybe eat more vegetables. Well, (laughs) that can be kind of jarring if you're not used to eating vegetables. And what makes that possible, though, is when you see the connection between that discipline of eating vegetables and the outcome, which is a healthier life. What's missing often is the connection between the jarring part, the discipline, and then the reward, which is a healthier life. What I want to do is I kind of want to just like connect some dots because I think that as we see dots become connected, we get what I think of as like flow. And life just works great when it flows, when those dots are connected. And math if nothing else, is a way to connect dots. And in doing so, I find for myself, it just brings flow to my life, and maybe it might bring flow to other people. That's the hope. Dave shares how doing math brings joy and flow to life. Yeah, and I think that when you talk about the, you know, the dots and the line, you know, you look at the 
the idea of a, a, of a line, you know, keep getting the dots together and eventually it, you get the flow of a line in a certain direction. And like you were talking about yeah, the discipline of, uh, you know, eating better vegetables and, and trying to, to find that. But within that, I, I think math people or people who, whether it's math or science or whatever your discipline is, it's hard. I mean, it's not maybe the most enjoyable thing that you're doing when you're at a dot. <laughs> when you cross over, which we will try to do all the time in intersecting us, that's what part of it is, into life. When we, we think about people that we uh, interact with, there's some people we interact in our lives that are very joyful, and we just want that more and more. There's other people we intersect in our life that we do it just because we kind of have to, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's a coworker or even sometimes a family member where we do that. But it, the idea came to me, the discipline of math where you have to, you have to learn concepts. And then once you know the concepts, the beauty can come out because you understand the foundation. It's often the same thing with relationships. You, you, sometimes have to work at relationships and it's not always super joyful. And, and I know people in COVID I've, I've met people who say, well, I just kind of like not talking to other people, you know, it, it's more comfortable for me. And, you know, that might be true, but if you want really what we're looking at is if you really want to uh, experience life to its fullest, you're going to have to get past just the dots and the math, or in this case, just the the work at the relationship and get to some joy that comes from it. You're never going to get that joy, I guess. Is right. My right. Uh, and I like that, uh, is that joy is kind of like what can connect the dots. And now, if you think about it, like, often if there's a disagreement with someone and there's maybe moving into conflict, a common phrase that's used is, what is your point? And I kind of thought about this kind of yes. like in a, math, in a math way. And I almost think that we're, we're not really saying that correct math because I think what we do is we hear the point. Uh, but what we miss is like, how does that connect to the previous points? And, and so I think what we're really missing is not what is your point. What we should, I think, mathematically say is, well, what is the flow from this point to the next point? Because you're over there talking about something that doesn't seem connected to what the previous point was. And I'm, I'm wondering is rather than saying, well, what is your point is I think what we're trying to do is get the flow. So that's where math comes in. And it provides flow. I'm of the opinion that math is part art and part science. And you may have your different perspectives on that. But another way I look at it, instead of art and science, is I think of it as a real world and abstract world. And so often we just think of math as the real world. And maybe we can say it's an abstract world. But that abstract world, often we think of as a dismissive concept. Like, oh, this has nothing to do with the real world. That's just what math people do. We get this idea that they're not doing anything that connects to the real world. And I want to recast that thought, that think of this abstract world not as this useless world that does not connect to the real world, but it's a special world. It's a world not filled with utility, like how can I use this to help me today, but it's filled with wonder. And uh, an experience that comes to mind is, Brian, you and I and uh, some buddies, we've walked down the Grand Canyon together. And there was utility in that. You know, we got a lot of steps in, 
Uh, but if we just wanted steps, we could have done that from Iowa. We went to the Grand Canyon because of the wonder. And that doesn't have utility. It has beauty. You can't describe it to someone unless you're there. And so when I think of math in that abstract world, to me, it's like walking through the Grand Canyon. And you uh, have to put aside the utility of not just doing steps, but you have to take a look and see the beauty and the wonder that is there and appreciate it for what it is rather than what it can do for you. As we talk about math, I am encouraging you to be thinking about it like you're going through the Grand Canyon and not to just uh, ask, well, what is this going to help me in my day-to-day living? But think of it as something that really is beautiful in and of itself. Let's talk about the Grand Canyon, the Chronicles of Narnia, and Einstein. Yeah, and I think when you look at that, the word that comes to my mind is utility, which is good. Something should have one-to-one correspondence, but not always. And that's kind of what you're talking about. When we did that Grand Canyon, I do remember the reality of coming back up and <laughs> getting cramps. And that was reality. That was really real. I don't know what the all the math and the science was, but it, it was the, the pain was involved. I remember that. But I, I do think you look at uh, art and science you're kind of thinking about, yes, there are times when the abstract can cross over into the, the real world, and that's good. You have a lot of math principles. I know if they go to the website, you know, the, the Lazarus Maths uh, stories there kind of help do that in different ways. What if I, I'm doing this abstract stuff? I'm in a math world trying to find meaning in it, but it may not cross over. But does that still have some joy? and beauty in my life, even though it doesn't cross over. The thing that came to my mind was one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and he did the Chronicles of Narnia. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if if the audience is familiar with those. It's essentially a a bunch of kids, four of them at first, in what was World War II England, crossing over into another land. It's an allegory. They they experience things that seem re- very real in that and then that world had its own life there was that wardrobe lion with that's what they went through that was the crossover point but for the most part there wasn't a lot of crossover something that happened in narnia didn't necessarily happen and didn't it, there was no one to one correspondence i don't know if it's right brain left brain but you know more of an analytical mind but you might have some that have more of a an art type mind and you can think about that when you cross over into the abstract of math and start to get some beauty there you might not go through the wardrobe but you can still experience stuff that is uh, joyful, fun, uh, rewarding, and uh, worth your time. Right. And the cool thing is we can look back on history, and that's what math people have been doing for a long, long time. But what has happened is that in this Narnia world, and I love that analogy of math, that the real world has figured out, hey, we've got this problem we can't figure out, and they find out that the solution to that actually exist in this Narnia world that had nothing to do with the real world, at least at the time that the math people were working with it. And one famous example is Einstein, when he was working with the theory of relativity. He was trying to get his theory to work. He had an idea from a physics perspective what it 
what it wanted to be, but he couldn't get the math to work. And he kept working on it and working on it. But he was working on it in the world that he was familiar with, which is the geometry of Euclid. Mm -hmm. And that was the geometry that everyone thought, well, that's the real world. And then lo and behold, they found that what actually worked was the geometry of Riemann, which was aided about 100 years ago by a mathematician, Bernard Riemann. And he was just in his own Narnia world creating this geometry that no one really cared about because it just didn't seem to be connected to the real world. But math people cared a lot about it because it was consistent. It was beautiful. And they determined that it was every bit as accurate and correct as the Euclid geometry. It just had a different assumption. And it came as a surprise to Einstein was that this was the exact math that worked for his theory of relativity. And that then became recognized that, wait, this is actually what the real world is like, is that the real world is not Euclidean geometry. Uh, it's this geometry that Riemann has where things are curved and not straight. And so that that's kind of the cool thing is, is that there is utility in it, but don't think about it like, okay, it's only good if it brings utility. And that's where the mistake lies is that if it never turns into utility, it's not productive. It's not useful, but it does turn into utility. Just don't think of that as your measuring stick as to whether it's valuable or not. And so I just kind of wanted you to rethink about what math is. You know, we, we think of it as a subject and yet we, we love going to movies that, stretch our imagination that are, you know, science fiction takes something that just seems crazy and we can see it on the screen. And in many sense, that's what math is. And in my mind, math is where the impossible becomes possible. And I must suspend judgment when I go into this world as what is true, because I may think I have an idea what is true, but in the math world, there is logic that will dictate what is true. And there are many, many surprises to that logic that go against what my intuition is and what your intuition is. And in doing so, what we find is that the things that appear not connected all of a sudden become connected. And to me, that's just a beautiful thing. Well, it is because you have the idea where what we do is not just like a machine where, you know, it just cranks out stuff because it, it, it's something we can, we know we can use and we know why we're using it. There's a depth there that we probe when you're looking at the mind and, and, and math helps us, helps us do that. But it is neat the way you put that, you, you get into this new world. I've been reading some about uh, quantum mechanics and quantum physics is just hard because they're still trying to figure out what the rules are. And uh, last I read, there's maybe 10 different hypotheses out there, what the rules are. So it kind of reminds me of when you talk about Einstein, when he got out of the Euclidean and that's what got him going. Obviously, we found some really good utility out of that. But I don't know if he went back in time and found when he was doing that. Was was that why he was doing it or was he just having some fun? I don't know. It'd be interesting to to find out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not a physics 
person at all, not even close. I don't want to pretend like I am, but I read about it like you do, Brian. And and I actually have been reading some things about it lately. One of the things that I've heard is talks about that Einstein's theory of relativity does not play well with quantum. And so in a very simplistic model, Einstein's theory works really good in the, the big cosmic world. And then quantum works really well in the small world. And the great challenge of physics right now is they want to unify those two worlds because they want to connect those two dots. And that's exactly what math does back to connecting dots. And so physicists have this desire for one unified theory because they believe at their cores that there is symmetry, that there's beauty, there's these laws of nature that have been given to us. And it just doesn't seem right that there would be two laws. I don't know how current this is. This is something that was uh, put out maybe 10 years ago, but they talked about the Big Bang in the first milliseconds in the quantum part, Einstein's theory does not work. And so they said that Einstein's theory kind of like takes over after the first few fractions of a second and then and then it works. Now, you know, who knows what's true, what's not true, but that's kind of what physicists are thinking about. And to me, what they're trying to do is they're trying to connect dots and uh, what, you know, how this world is actually created in a physical world. We don't know, but I'm just going to stay in my math world. That's where I belong. But uh, it does kind of open the idea of our eternity series. And we think about what is eternity. So that that became a thing for us when we uh, decided to get together. Intersecting Infinity and Eternity. Yeah, I, I do think when we, we look at the way those intersect, we've got infinity and eternity work both in life in some extent and in math, and math kind of helps us understand it, I think. But as you were talking about, that is one thing that I thought, too, you know, that's not my discipline either, quantum physics, but I do enjoy reading it. And I think intersecting us kind of starts with that math base, but I don't think that's the only thing that will uh will probe. Yesterday, I went to a dance recital for a bunch of my granddaughter and a bunch of kids. Uh, I don't know how to dance very well. I, I don't know how to choreograph that. Uh, that's not my world. I wouldn't even begin to be able to start to figure out how you would get some kid to even sit still, let alone figure out how to dance. And But yet I enjoyed it. You know, it was something to enjoy. And I think when we look at what we're doing, if you're a listener and you're like, well, you know, I, I don't know how much I know about math. You know, that's not really what this is about. We're not it's not we're not going to give you a bunch of problems you have to figure out in integral calculus or something. It's it's the idea of using math as a base to help us understand other parts of life. That's what intersecting us does. So your discipline, Dave, is more math. Mine is more kind of philosophical, but what well, that's the under intersection here. But the idea that what comes to mind when you think of that, the wardrobe, I guess we'll call it, or the, or the, the place where they intersect. Uh, for me, I, when you were talking about the point, I, I don't know how much people have read 
you know, philosophy and stuff. But most people know who Plato was. He was the or the middle of the three great, you know, you had Socrates, Plato, and then Aristotle. But Plato had what we call, and, and I love the way it's the analogy of the cave. You know, when you were talking about math, for some reason, I was thinking about like in-dimensional space, you know, where we, get, we go from three to four to five. You know, in math, you can do 10 dimensions with variables, no problem. Now, conceptualize that in the real world is a little hard. Uh, <laughs> And but what Plato did that with his analogy of the cave, his idea, the platonic idea of our existence is that we are here, but we're in kind of a shadow area uh, and we can only in the caves, the, the true the true there's there's the true chair, uh, the, the 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 true you know animal, the true human, really. And all we are seeing is just shadows on a cave. And that's our intersection point. Mm-hmm. is we see pieces of it but we don't really get it all but he was he seemed to think that once this life was over we would get the real the realness of things but there's such a good math idea there i would look at it as where in plato's idea where we are now is we're outside of and the numbers are just floating around we can't make sense of it and then we take math and it makes it concrete and then we're able to see better and then when we do that we're in a space where one plus three always equals four uh, in art and in, in life. <laughs> and sometimes in science, you just talked about it. Things don't always work that way. Uh, right. Right. So it's nice to get to that point. When you look at that connection, this is kind of a psychological question, but um, uh, not that I'm putting you on the couch here or anything, but when you think about that as a math guy, how does that, make you feel when you know there's a thing out there I can go to that I'm good at. That's your discipline. Uh, uh, is it just a benign robot stuff or is there some emotion going on when you get in there? Dave enjoys the human side of math and shares an odd story. It's really difficult to put in words that when I go and do math, I really do feel like I'm going into a Narnia world where uh, things just uh, surprise me. And I see things that are, uh, let's just limit ourselves to three dimensions, you know, the, the world we live in. And so you may see things in three dimensions, uh, but then you throw in time in there. And in Einstein's world, that's that's the world we live in. We we live in four dimension, where the fourth dimension is time, and that time part brings back the history of all the people that have done math in the past. And so, as I think about math, I also think about what has occurred in the past, past time, and I marvel at how it's all developed over time. And so I get this human element where there's real people doing math, the Euclids and the Archimedes and the Newtons and the Eulers, and they have lived in time and they've lived in this three-dimensional space. And I can go back and I can hear their stories and see how they've put this puzzle together. Uh, There was a time when zero was not a number, but Math people wrestle with that a long time, and they finally determined that zero was a number. Well, that's a story in time in part of the dimension, and how all that came together is 
is fascinating. It's a well-hidden mystery that's kept out of the math world, but there's really interesting stories. So I'm going to throw a little puzzle at you where there's probably some people that want something really concrete to, to say, well, what, what is all this connection? And uh, talk about odd numbers. So we, we know the odd numbers, one, three, five, seven, nine, goes on and on. So I guess we're talking about the odd positive numbers. When we think about odd numbers, we think of them, well, they're not even, but they're integers. So that's pretty straightforward. But if I was to say that the odd numbers are intimately connected with squares, now that would seem a little bit uh, uh, odd. Odd. Yeah. <laughs> odd. It's like, wait, so we talk about discrete points, like help me connect the dots here because I don't see that at all. I, I see odd numbers as something that I can see one cat, I can see three mice, but then how in the world would that connect to a square? And I don't see that right now at all. It's not intuitive. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. kind of waiting to see how you're going to do this. <laughs> okay. So this is, this is how those two get connected. And it's not like some magician. So if I start with one and then I add the next odd number to it, three, that equals four. And what is the square root of four? Two. Two. Okay. So it's a perf- four is a perfect square. Let's add the next odd number, five, hmm. and that equals nine. What's the square root of nine? Three. And then add the next odd number, seven. And now we're at 16. And I'm so, the to see this. Yeah. so the score root of 16 is four. So we are adding odd numbers, taking the square root, and then producing the integers in order. In other words, when we add the odd numbers together, we always get a perfect square. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's yeah. not just an even number. It's a perfect square. Yeah. So how does that work? That's like magical. And if you try to think about it simply from a number perspective, it might be. But then once you actually draw a picture, then the mystery is solved. Because think about a single dot, like let's say home home base, right, on a baseball field. And then we're going to add three dots. So we're going to add first base, second base, and third base. When we added those three dots – we created a square that's two by two. Yes. And so that equals four. So that's how we got the first pattern. Well, now when we're going to add five, continue that idea of you have a two by two square. Well, now you want to add two dots above those two dots and two dots to the right of those two dots. That's four. And then you add a dot as the diagonal. And now what you've created is a three-by-three three matrix. The total number of dots was originally you started with four, and then you added two on the top, you added two to the right, and then you added a dot in the diagonal. That is five, and now you've got a three-by-three three matrix, and that is nine, and of course the score root of nine is three. The pattern is then when you go from three to four, well, then you add three dots above those three, you add three dots to the right of those three, and then you add three on the diagonal, and that's always going to be the three plus three, and then the one more, it's going to be that odd number, and that's going to make a four-by-four four matrix, which will be a, another perfect square of 16 dots. That is how odd numbers connect with squares, 
And it seems like a fanciful idea at first, but then when you draw that picture, all of a sudden it, it becomes perfectly like, oh, I can see why that pattern exists. It's not, it's not a mystery. When you play dominoes, you saw those dots together. It's, it's intuitive. It doesn't require a math genius to figure that out. You can go and continue to do that. Again, the word that keeps coming up, and it has throughout our whole process of intersecting us, is infinity. You can keep doing that forever and ever, and it works because it's consistent and it's math, but there's an infinite amount of squares that you can go into. And we do want to talk about infinity, and you brought that up earlier, infinity and eternity, because that is kind of a springboard for us in video series. This has been the Intersecting Us podcast. To further engage with Intersecting Us, go to intersectingus.com.